Buenas. Welcome back to Film Posers for Boricuas ranting, raving, and reviewing cinema. Today we'll be talking about book to movie and TV adaptations with a very special guest. She is an award-winning author of various works ranging from young adult to middle grade to romance and beyond in galaxies far, far away. She is regarded among her peers as an admirable hustler that can't stop, won't stop with various projects on the way, including Vampires Never Get Old, which I'm very excited about, <laughs> beyond her work that has been recognized by many. She brings a new hope to Latinx readers across the globe that see themselves in her printed words. Give a poser welcome to Zoraida Cordova. Yay! <laughs> Can I just say that is the best introduction I've ever had in, in, in my whole life. <laughs> really appreciate it. Uh, I'm just so excited to be here to talk about uh, adaptations with you guys because I have I have a lot of opinions uh, about book to TV, mm -hmm. book to film. Yeah, I'm so excited. You are excited because this is honestly something that's very rarely talked about because it's goes beyond just acquiring the material and turning it into a film or a tv show there is so much that goes into the process and later on we'll be talking about um some picks by the posers that actually took a long time to become what they are now your taste in films in one word what would it be uh chaotic chaotic <laughs> What is your absolute favorite movie right now? You know, it's I'm I'm absolute garbage because my my favorite movie is uh, right now it's it's Avengers it's Infinity War <laughs> yes um, and I keep watching I keep watching it I just like I can't stop watching it for some reason even though you know they're my favorite movies are I I really like comedy and I really like. Um, I like frat boy humor okay. in a yeah. lot of movies and romantic comedies. Um, like The Big Lebowski is one of my favorites. And so is um, I grew up watching the Blues Brothers and Jim Carrey movies with my little brother. And those were the things that th that sort of shaped me along with uh, Saturday morning cartoons. So it creates a really ridiculous non-brand uh, that is all over the place. And then Star Wars. Um, because I would, I, I used to want to be like, oh, I love Almodovar and Alfonso Carron, but no, I just really want to just watch Captain America look at his own butt <laughs> all the time. <laughs> so I have this like warring side of me where I'm like, I want to be super highbrow, but also action movies. <laughs> yeah, that often, I remember I had that conversation with a friend of mine who was in the same program I just was, because this whole thing is that a lot of our classmates just really want to make like indie films and like cinema po poetic and he's like I just want to make <laughs> commercial stuff that makes people happy <laughs> but also Guillermo del Toro yeah. and I'm like essentially yes, yes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> absolutely yeah I feel like was there a film or a genre of film that has shaped your writing style mostly superhero and supernatural things um when my formative my formative movies were Disney movies um and that was because I was when I was a kid when I still lived in Ecuador my my grandmother sent me uh 
like the Little Mermaid VHS, right? And so I watched that over and over and over again. Spoiler alert, my first novel is about a mermaid. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, and so I, I think that between that um, and the movies that I watched, like Merlin and uh, Willow and sort of these like epic fantasy before Lord of the Rings came out, that was something that I was always drawn to because I love magical stuff. Um, and I wasn't allowed to in- watch Interview with the Vampire because I was still too little, um, I think. Or maybe I just wasn't rebellious. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and but, but I was allowed to watch, like, Willow and, and, uh, and the King Arthur sort of movies. And those are the things, like, I, I, I don't think I would put a specific movie that shaped that, but just the fantasy genre overall, um, it, it ingrained in me the idea of plot structure and how plot looks um, when you're trying to propel your hero through a journey. Um, and sort of, so even when I'm writing contemporary romance, I still think about the hero's journey uh, as I'm going, as I'm moving along. Okay. My question for you is, do you have any tips you'd like to offer for aspiring Latinx writers that would like to publish a book one day? Um, I think I would give the advice. Uh, uh, this is hard because I feel like a dinosaur in this in this business. So I don't even know if everything that I learned when I first started still applies. Um, but I, I started writing, um, I started trying to publish in 2008 and it took me about four years before I sold a book. Um, so obviously don't let it's okay. This is, this is easy for me to say, but don't let rejection make you write something that isn't you. Because that's, that's essentially what I decided to do. Like I, in order for me to get published, I felt like I needed to write not contemporary Latin stuff. Uh, So I I could have been a very different author, right? Like, if I had sold the contemporary quinceanera novel that was rejected in 2008, I would, I might be like, more like Jenny Han and Julie Murphy than anybody else. Um, if that had been the the trajectory, but instead I started writing mermaid fantasy and that's not to say that I should not have written those books. Like I'm, those are my, like, I love those books so much, but I also did it because I felt like I couldn't tell those other stories. So by the time I was able to write Labyrinth Lost, I didn't feel like I could write Labyrinth Lost. I, I, I was afraid to write it. I was, I was afraid right up to the day that it came out um, because I didn't think that people would understand it. And even though there's no Spanish in the book, uh, except for the epigraphs Mm -hmm. and the names of the gods, um, I still felt like it was too foreign. And, and at the end of the day, you know, people still, people love it that are not Latinx. So I was wrong. (laughs) So don't be like me. Like, don't be afraid to write 
the book of your heart from the very get go. Um, that that's like my biggest thing. The other thing would be um, the publishing industry is not going to go anywhere, like barring a nuclear nuclear holocaust. Um, <laughs> uh, I think that other than that, we we rush to to publish, but every book that I've written. Um, I, I want to, I go back to it and I'm like, if I had another six months, I would do this differently. And maybe that's going to happen no matter how long you take. Um, but don't chase the publishing industry because it's not going anywhere. That's, that's another advice, especially for, especially for Latinx writers right now, because I feel like people want to hear from us because of, you know, the Janine Cummings, like fuckery and, uh, American dirt (laughs) and all of that stuff. And so now, but publishing is still putting out these predominantly um, uh, immigration Mm -hmm. narratives, right? Like, so I don't know if that answers the question. No, definitely, (laughs) especially right now with um, American Dirt, where, like, our bestseller shelf is right across from the registers, so I'm staring at this book. For eight hours. Because it hasn't come down from there. And the thing that always made me the saddest is that whenever I'd look at that shelf for a moment, Isabel Allende was like ahead of American Dirt. And you could see Isabel Allende slowly going down and American Dirt going up. And it's still there. It's like still on the bestseller shelf. Uh, We do the indie bestsellers list and it's still there. People love it. I like sometimes when I have to sell it, a part of my heart dies <laughs> because at this point we want more than an immigration narrative because before we appreciated it mostly because it put us on the map but we're beyond that mm-hmm. and we're actually getting it's no longer white people telling our story for us it's actually like people yeah from our cultures that are getting an opportunity so we want more of what they have to say yeah sometimes I read um I, there are a lot of, I, I, I go through my books, like I, this book right here that I have, um, I don't even know, she's not, she's definitely not Ecuadorian, but there, there's not an Ecuadorian book that I have not written that mm-hmm. I've read, um, except for Ernesto Quinones, who's half, he's half Puerto Rican and he's half okay. Ecuadorian, um, and so he's the only one, and he has a book, a new book called Taina, okay. uh, that just came out, so he's the exception, but other than that, like, I don't have any, there's like no Ecuadorian mm-hmm. books published in America that are not like, there are some that are translated. Um, but recently I found like two Ecuadorian authors and I'm really, uh, Rocky Callan, who just came out. Um, oh my God, I just forgot her name, her book, Rocky. Do you know which book I'm talking about? A Breath Too Wait. Late. But even then, she's not. Yeah. She's also not writing about um, Latin um, mm-hmm. Latin people, which is fine. But um, I'm desperate. Yeah, for it's it. like recently with Mexican Gothic that it got a little bit of backlash because it didn't teach about Mexican history or the culture. And it's like <sighs> it's not a person's job to teach you about it. If you like the book, go to Google. <laughs> it's interesting because I read a I. I try my hardest to read everything mm. that's out there 
in young in the young adult space or at least at least acquire the arc so that I can read the beginning um and I've read a few books by people who are like part you know there I, I never want to question anybody's like ethnicity or whatever but it just doesn't it reads like a, I'm telling you how to I Mexicanly picked up this cup of coffee mm-hmm. and I Mexicanly drank this drink it mm-hmm. and 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 I'm just shocked that things like that are getting through publication but I shouldn't be shocked mm-hmm. because there's no, there's no the barrier isn't mm-hmm. there mm-hmm. um yeah so I think every time I get to the to like everyone speaking only English and then it's like my abuela I it just I know it's technically correct but it also like it's like a trope that doesn't seem to go away and that um white people seem to use yeah. uh when they're trying to create latino characters yes. <laughs> yeah yeah and, and i also feel like it, like the only acceptable stories that latinx writers were allowed to create were those that dealt with you know the suffering and the struggle and all of that and it's like and then like obviously since those were the only stories that they seem to be allowed to tell then when you know like with mexican gothic when they write something that's you know a story that's you know a story then it it, it receives backlash because it's like you're not supposed to be writing this you're supposed to be justifying why you're writing this because you know with immigration stories and all of that it's like justifying because we're telling the struggle and it's like we're not allowed yeah. to exist past those stories. It's, it's really interesting um, that when that's always been the the criticism for for Silvia Moreno Garcia um, because she said this before in in her when she came out with uh, her Mexican vampire book that people read it and they're like this doesn't feel like Mexico and she's like well I literally came from Mexico so I know what it's what it feels like I think it's because you know we're not writing about like the village and the small town and um, walking 17 miles, like, like it's the 1800s to go get a cup of water. I think it's because the exported image from certain countries is always going to look a certain way. And so when you don't give people that image, it's sort of like their brain starts frying. Um, Which is why to a certain extent, a lot of the books, like even like, even, um, I know a lot of Dominican writers have a problem with um, in the time of the butterflies because it the the image that it's exporting from the Dominican Republic is exactly the one that you expect. And the same thing with um, with Juno mm-hmm. Diaz uh, with the brief in you know the brief and wondrous life of Oscar Wilde. Like he's I know he's like a huge problem, but it's 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 such a beautifully written book that I also see every single problem that he has like with women and the treatment of women but it's also the only the only story that is brought over is like poor um like the the poor the poor population of the Dominican mm-hmm. Republic and so when we're only given this if like a Dominican writer decides not to write that and they decide to write like a fun um romantic comedy it's like this is not art anymore because this is art and that is a problem. And those, and at the end of the day, what, only one of those things is going to get translated into a movie. Yeah, Ooh, definitely. So. <laughs> wow, wow. <laughs> yeah. Pick a director to work on one of your books. Which book would it be, and who would you like to see directed? 
Oh, man. So in my heart of hearts, I would like Guillermo del Toro to do Labyrinth. Oh, my God. Yes. Because he has the whimsy. He has the action. um, And he is, you know, he's Latino. And so other other than that, I was going to be like JJ, but then JJ did Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> um, and he did what he did what he did. Um, but I, you know, I I still love JJ and I still love The mm-hmm. Last Jedi. Um, but and I will always love Star Wars, right? Just in case they're listening. But <laughs> <laughs> but I do think that I think that um, JJ or uh, um, Guillermo would be two of my top picks because I've I've admired their work for so long. And um, I love their sense of action and the sense of creating atmosphere uh, in in their work. Um, so I, I, for me, it would be a tie between the two of those. And I always go back to Labyrinth Lost just because, because it is the only one of my works that is is option. So it's like for me, it's like maybe it's a possibility when I'm like, hey, who do you see as your favorite director? And I'm just like, here you go. This is my list. <laughs> um. But yeah, I think that I don't know. I don't know who else to think of because I I'm terrible at coming up with with director mm-hmm. names. Yeah, honestly, Guillermo would be perfect. Yeah, like that yeah. sounds like a perfect match. Like, that is just <laughs> so perfect. Like, let's make it happen. Let's get Guillermo on the phone. <laughs> the sense of world building and like story wise and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Totally. Yeah. Yeah, which matches your work as well because Honestly. I remember I was listening to the episode of Deadline City where you were talking about how you describe the smells and everything, and I've started applying that to my own writing because it's such a small detail, but it contributes so much. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, it's the th- you know when we we go through when we go through life like we all of our senses just evoke all kinds of emotions, you know. I just returned from New- to New York, and I'm like, "Oh, that's what New York in the summer smells like." I yeah. That. <laughs> that's so when it comes to adapting a book, filmmakers have a choice that they want to be faithful to the original source or modify it into their own vision. But I feel that they—that's like kind of the tricky part because it's finding a way to be able to translate well into film but at the same time be able like to please the fans, right? But the thing is that movies can always represent the mood of a novel and they have to rely on techniques such as lighting, cinematography, acting to tell the, how the character is feeling or how like the setting of the world. Um, and sometimes I feel that it's necessary to make changes uh, for like for an example for me, it was I read um, Ready Player One by Ernest Klein, and mm. there's a lot of eighty reference and such like that. But obviously, because it came out a couple of years back, not many people will know about the eighties or the culture, and they changed the the shining scene. If you guys have seen the movie or read the book, right? Yeah. Um, in the book, it was actually uh, war games that is an 80s movie, and they had to recite the whole film 
So I feel that sometimes it could be necessary, a change to be able to like accommodate uh, the audience into like a certain aspect of the film, even though that not many fans will like it. Mm. Yeah. 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 I do feel because it's easy for us to for us to read a book and be like, oh, why is it so hard to keep it the way it is when the script is literally written? We're holding the script in our hand. Like, why is it so hard? But then you have to take that into consideration. And also for marketing purposes, because you're making a movie not just for the fans, but mm -hmm. you're also hoping to, to get fans, like not people who haven't read the book, to see the movie. So you have to be creative as well to make sure that you attract all types of people because it all comes down yeah. to money. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, the budget is a huge thing. Um, I know that. So I, I have been okay with the fact that I know that my work will be changed when, um, when my book becomes a movie because it, it's just a different language. Yeah. You know, writing a book is a different language than writing a script. And uh, the day-to-day -day scenes that we have in, mo in books, and we'll talk about it later when we give our examples, but um, there are some things that just you wouldn't want to see in a movie five, six, seven mm -hmm. times. Mm -hmm. um, and so those things have to be cut out, even if it's like, look at the sparkly dialogue or uh, I really love that scene. Mm -hmm. um, there are just some things that just don't make it. And, and I think that's fine. I think it's just, there are very few books that are play by play, uh, the movie and the book. And I, the only one that I comes to mind is mm -hmm. Hunger Games. Yeah. I was just thinking about Hunger Games. Yeah. 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 That is like, if you read the book, it is scene by scene. Like it, it is the movie, um, without, with like the exception of like how she gets that pin. Yeah. Right. But other than that, because because that would mm -hmm. make sense. Like we're not going to go to that market. Um, so yeah, I think about that all the time, a lot when I'm when I'm writing books. It's like, how would this look on TV, and does it matter in the end? Uh, because I shouldn't be writing for I shouldn't be writing for TV. I should be writing my book. Hmm. I'm going to propose a question. What do we think attributed to the Hunger Games success as an adaptation? Was it the adaptation per se, or would you say it was even like uh, in an exterior world, like it's marketing and it's commercial appeal? I think for me, it's the success mm -hmm. of the book combined with um, the very, the, the snappy pacing of both the book and the movie um, and the very, very basic idea of self-sacrifice right so here's a girl sacrificing herself for her sister who can't relate to that um other than people who don't like their sisters <laughs> <laughs> um but you have this like valiant hero and also you have the face of rebellion against mm -hmm. capitalism and it looks like jennifer lawrence you know so that's a big difference. I think that's why that's why that's why revolution is palatable in that instance. Yes. Yes. I also think that when it was released, it was 2012 mm -hmm. and we were, you know, twilight was about to end. <laughs> so yeah. we like they needed a new 
like adaptation to make money off. So they chose The Hunger Games, which was already a popular book, and it made sense. And you know, also like having Harry Potter, the la- the final Harry Potter movie, be divided into two parts. They knew that mm-hmm. they could also do the same with The Hunger Games, and they did it with Twilight. So mm-hmm. it made sense, and a lot of people were also craving that because again, Twilight was going to end, and Harry Potter had just ended, I think. Mm-hmm. So yeah. there was just. It was, it was needed. So I feel like that also attributed to why it was so successful. Yeah. And a lot of people have actually been trying to copy that formula. Divergent. Divergent. <laughs> Divergent. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, and we know what happened with that. And then <laughs> after they started realizing that dystopia was out, because with the maze runner, that kind of dwindled. I remember I did not, I read the first book. And I went to see the final installment. I did. I had not read that book. And let me tell you, I kept saying, like, this is going to happen now. And it did. (laughs) So after a while, it literally became a formula. And people were trying to copy something. Like, you can only catch lightning in the bottle once. So now we've been seeing a shift more, especially in YA, to contemporary adaptations, which is very interesting, especially since they appeal more to, like, streaming services as well as tv adaptations right i think about so i i had a chat with my friend gretchen mcneil the other day on um why pub talk live um i'm probably butchering the name of the the talk show Uh but it we were she said gretchen has had two of her books now translated to tv right the first book was 10 and it was like Agatha, a, a YA adaption of a YA retelling of uh, Agatha Christie's, and then there were none. So like ten kids go to an island, very you know, very scream. And I know what you did last summer. Like ten kids in a house, everyone dies, right? Who's the killer? Um, and then her new one, which is Don't Get Mad, Get Even, which is uh, a group of girls start getting even and people start dying at a in a a Catholic school, but the BBC did it. So the BBC translated a California book to a British book, which is changes so much of the world and, and, and everything, but it keeps the murder Mm -hmm. the same. (laughs) So, um, she said, Gretchen said that her books don't cost as much as it would to, to make, uh, Sabatahir's, Oh my god. An ember in the ashes? An ember in the ashes? Guys, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. An ember in the ashes or the mm-hmm. Red Queen, right? Mm-hmm. Like these, the, the books just cost so much mm-hmm. less to make um, because you don't have special effects. Mm-hmm. Uh, you don't have um, all of that stuff. Mm. yeah which is funny because i even i find myself consuming more contemporary now especially because before when i was in high school i remember hardcore fantasy and i still do but i found myself reading more contemporary because i've been seeing more contemporary more of being able to see ourselves out there and giving more positions to directors writers and producers that are actually from those cultures (laughs) In terms of Y adaptations as well, I think the last year we saw an increased high in adaptations was 2018, which was also the year that Love, Simon came out, and now they have a TV show, which is very interesting to see. I don't think, at least if I'm blanking, 
uh, we haven't seen before where a movie is successful and then we see a TV adaptation of a work that wasn't there before. The funny thing about Love, Simon is when they started to report its numbers, it wasn't exactly being claimed as successful because they did too many free showings, mm-hmm. which lost a lot of their mm-hmm. marketing of how they could have probably gotten to a level of fault in our stars in terms of um, success. But even the fact that it got its, sh- its show on Hulu, even though it was supposed to be on Disney, it's pretty great that the marketing, it's, uh, that the... Uh, the original source is enough to say we can make this out of it, this out of it, and it just allows for so many possibilities. Like, I thought for a minute, like, oh, wait, Love, Victor's a book? I don't have this one. <laughs> and then it was like, oh, wait, this is a show. Got it, got it. I haven't seen it yet. <laughs> yeah. I love Love, Simon. Mm-hmm. I thought it was great. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I watched it with my with my uncles, and they were like, they never had anything like that when they were younger because, you know, they're just like old closeted gays. Um, but then they got to see Love, Simon, and they were like, this is so sweet. And, you know, my uncle going into it, he was like, I don't want to see anybody get hurt. And I was like, no, no, no. Like, he was already afraid that somebody was going to, like, carry, like, you know, Stephen, um, Stephen King carry. Simon at the prom mm. or something and he was like he already had that anxiety and I was like no 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 it's a cinnamon roll movie <laughs> exactly <laughs> Becky Becky Albertalli is a cinnamon roll so like you know those things are just desperately needed um I I I was just gonna say like uh the only other example is the Mortal Instruments was a movie and then they decided to redo it as I was TV just show. thinking yeah. that but the TV show was just was just an epic fail they tried that i don't even want to talk about it (laughs) which a lot of people talk about the movie as being these horrible things and i mean the book itself already has its things but the movie translated as well as you could have gone because it's a hard book yeah the scene i can't get over is when he sticks his hand into that portal and the other (laughs) yeah and i was just like First of all, Jace Herondale would yeah. never. <laughs> Second of all, uh, I really like Mortal Instruments. Uh, I, I think that Cassie has gotten, like, her writing has become mm. better and better. Yeah. Uh, you know, like, the Mortal Instruments is fine for me, but the Shadowhunters and the LA Institute is a far mm. better series. And so is the the historical one, the clockwork. Oh, my God. Um, you can't oh, beat series. Clockwork Angel. Like, yes. You just can't. I, I remember reading that epilogue of, of yes. Clockwork Princess, and I was just like, oh, and now I'm weeping. Yeah. Because <laughs> I love I love a Herondale. Yeah. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah. It's so but, funny. But. Because oh, when I met Cassie. Oh. Oh. <laughs> I mean, but when it comes to Mortal Instruments, even though that we say, like, right now, it's, like, such a bad movie, it was a product of its time, because I remember that everybody genuinely loved the movie, they wore the merch, they went to Hot Topic to buy everything, they did Hi. the They got those, like, yeah. those stickers. <laughs> stickers we drew the rooms. I'm, I'm considering getting one of them tattooed, I'm not even lying. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But we see it right now, it's, like, just didn't translate as well as we thought it would i just think that like the movie did take like the best qualities from the book Mm -hmm. 
And then obviously they have to add some filler in, and that's when the hand scene comes in. They have to add some of that that stuff. Oh, and also and, they have to add humor. <laughs> there was so much, <laughs> and you know Valentine looked like a rock star with dreadlocks, and um, that was a choice. I actually blocked that from my memory. I am so sorry that I brought that I, back. I like the new. I do like the new yes. Valentine. I like the new, um, the new Lightwoods. You know, yeah. with like the Latino, the 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 half Mexican Lightwoods. Yeah. Um. Everyone's more attractive in yeah the TV show. I do think that I. the TV show had a better cast, but the main problem was that it was on freeform. Yeah. yeah. Which because, is why they changed yeah. their name. Yeah, because like the book, the series has a lot of dark elements in it. And you know, it's freeform. That was originally known as ABC Family. So, you know, I, I don't think that a 12-year-old would be comfortable watching, you know, people decapitating monsters but they still had they still had uh i know we weren't going to talk about this show but <laughs> you know they still have everything that they they included with like jay's hooking up with maya i was like oh. wait oh my god no, 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 oh my god <laughs> no no no, 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 no. So this many is things out of that show i was like i hate this. <laughs> uh don't do this but they did it anyway oh uh, you know anyway whatever i was only um, in it for malik that's the i was about to say that that was the only thing i think they got <laughs> yeah right. that was the only thing oh they God, got the right most... yes malik is the best thing to come out of the shadow hunter yes, universe yes, the only... i think yes, yes. <laughs> <laughs> which actually brings me into what are your favorite book to tv adaptations <laughs> Okay. trilogy to to come to tv that that's i'm i'm positive that's gonna be my favorite mm-hmm. um i saw a still like not a still but like i saw, a, saw like a, a sneak peek <gasps> or something and i was like oh my god it's amazing <laughs> um but uh i think good omens good omens is my the most <laughs> recent one that i've watched that i really enjoyed i watched all six or eight episodes mm-hmm. in one day and I was like, this is this is what I need to I would say The Witcher, but I've actually never read mm-hmm. The Witcher books. Uh so and also the show is kind of a mess, even though it's it's my it's my kind of <laughs> trash. Um But I think Good Omens, I really had a fantastic time watching it and I, I wanted to keep watching it and I was like, Oh, my angel and demon yes. dad. Yeah. So yeah. <laughs> oh. That was actually my pick too, because I had a hard time picking one but the thing with good omens is that i also in times like pre-corona i went to my friend's house and we spent the entire day on her sofa just binge watching it and like we were cooking dinner like staring at the tv this was just that good especially that final episode and just give it to it yeah (laughs) just the drama and everything like it was a genuinely good scripted show I feel like it got everything that was good from the book and just the chemistry and everything. It turned into something new that even he said that some things changed here and there, but essentially what he wanted was what he got. And also he was able to be a part of it. So that always helps. Yeah. Cause you know, in the, the humor in those books is, is Pratchett. It's not. Mm-hmm. Human. <laughs> 
So I'm glad that they kept the all of the funny parts. I had a hard time with this because I haven't watched a lot of TV shows, which is is actually like kind of like I wanted to watch Good Omens. I want to watch Love Victor. I want to watch so many things, but I get overwhelmed with how much content there is, and I just completely forget about it. And then I was like, I don't have any book to TV adaptations. But then I remembered this one show that I remember being very upset about when it can when it got canceled on Lifetime called Witches of East End. Oh, oh, with Jenny yes. Juan. <laughs> I, I watched that show religiously every week. I thought it was really well adapted, and I got upset because I was like, it has one more book, one more book, Lifetime. Was that Melissa De La Cruz? Yes, from Melissa De La Cruz. Is that her books? I yeah. That very good, very good show. Uh, I actually got introduced to it because my mom. She had the books. She read them. She loved them. She binged them right away. And then the show came out, and I was like, "Wait, what are you watching?" And she's like, "Witches of East End. Just sit down and watch it." And then I got hooked. And then I blame her for this. And then she, <laughs> I had to break the news to her that it got canceled. And she was like, "There is one Aww. book left." Why can't Lifetime just get rid of the other crappy films they were going to do and just give me that one more season? <laughs> yeah. So for me, it's that one. I hope to see, I've wanted to see Good Omens for a while. I just haven't gotten around to it. But now I have more reason to. It's so good. It's surprising. I need to rewatch it because I just really, it does with like time, the twist that you wanted from The Witcher. To make more okay. sense. Okay. Okay. Yeah. So I also had a hard time because I watch a lot of stuff, but then when I get asked, "Oh, what's your favorite?" I forget everything. <laughs> oh, that happens to me all the time. So I chose a discovery of witches. <laughs> I I saw the first episode when it came out last year, and immediately went and bought the books. So I still haven't finished reading the books. I, I have only read the first one so far. But that first season just adapted it so beautifully. And I am just... Yeah. I thought the cast was perfect. Like, Matthew Good as Matthew. Like, oh my god. <laughs> like I, I just... I remember that and I get happy. So... Yeah, A Discovery of Witches. Definitely, I can't wait until season two. And season three, because they just confirmed that they're going to be making all three. So we're good. That's excellent. Yes, we're good. I watched it. I watched it because Danielle pressured me into watching it because she loves mm-hmm. it. Um, and I was also surprised because I, I remember trying to read the books. And I know that, like, the books are incredibly yeah. well written. Mm-hmm. They're just very, they're very, they're, they're slower paced than I than I. I'm accustomed to. Yeah, definitely. That's how why I struggled a lot reading the first one because I was I was not expecting it to be you know so dense and so slow paced. But it like halfway when you get to the halfway point, I could not stop reading it. So I just I love how with the TV show, it managed to hook me faster than the book. So I feel like if I had read the book first, I would have not. Maybe I would not have finished it, but since I already knew it wasn't going to happen, it helped me read the book faster because I wanted to see how certain scenes were done in the book. So mm-hmm. definitely helped. So that one, and I, and also this one is a graphic novel, but I just feel like it was such a wonderful adaptation, and it's Watchmen. Yes, from HBO. It is a sequel 
series to the Watchmen graphic novels, and I just it was perfect. Like few TV shows for me reached that perfect status with the first season, and Watchmen. Is- so I was like seeing one of my picks or something like that, and I couldn't quite remember. <laughs> What was the last one I watched? But then I was like, oh, okay. So it was Looking for Alaska, the last um, adaptation that I saw. And by watching that, I just remember, like, the whole nostalgia that gave me. Like, when I was, like, in middle school and then going through high school with the young green. Um, like, with everyone. I mean, yeah, it was just like, I just quite remember how everybody just like liked his books and just like went into groups talking about it and such like that. So watching like the series just gave me a little bit nostalgia on how I was with my friends talking about it. But like sometimes I felt that the series, it was a little bit late in a sense that it just came out late mm-hmm. because it came out after the hype of the John Green era. You don't think it aged well? In a sense, it kind of didn't because I felt that the dialogue was a little bit um, cheesy, mm-hmm. in a sense, yeah. And But at the same time, it was, a, again, a product of its time. And I felt that people just generally wanted to see Looking for Alaska being adapted. Because for me, that was, like, for all the John Green, that's, like, my favorite. And I mm-hmm. think it's a lot of... That's my favorite John Green book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But personally, it was an alright adaptation. Okay. Which goes back to what we mentioned earlier about how some books genuinely have a longer journey than we expect. Yeah. Because Looking for Alaska was like, it was, a, yeah. 2005? Yeah. It was acquired and yeah. then they didn't make it, but they still had the rights and then they went Hulu, and then it finally got me. But that's like, yeah, I can summarize it right now very quickly. But that was a long time. So to see that journey, which is one that usually doesn't get discussed unless you're genuinely paying attention or actually care about what happens to these books, is very interesting. Because sometimes at first you get one script, and then sometimes that writer is taken off. Like a book can go through so many things before we actually see it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which actually, um, going back to Labyrinth Loss, it was announced with Paramount, correct? Is mm-hmm. it still with Paramount or have you guys? Okay. It's still with Paramount, actually. Yeah. I literally just yesterday, two mm-hmm. days ago, re signed for a third, a third option period. Um, so uh, we have a producer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And we have a, a screenwriter, okay. and they are both. Yay! We love Yay! to see it. We genuinely <laughs> love to see it. Yes, yeah. I like. I'm terrible at keeping a secret, so I'm like, when can we announce it? Um, so, it's it's. I'm. I can't believe mm-hmm. it's happening. Mm-hmm. Right. So. I'm just trying to enjoy it, and uh, we had a really amazing conversation mm-hmm. about uh, what the sound, like what mm-hmm. the soundtrack is is like, like what is the vibe. And so, um, uh, there actually there are three producers, um, and 
and so one of them is like this is how I, I hear Lula and Alex and this is how I hear Nova and this is how I hear you know um, all these things and so they were they also like they asked me like what is one thing you would that you would hate for us to change and I was like I definitely understand I just wanted I'm mm-hmm. just like happy to be included like I'm just like I'm happy to be here <laughs> you they don't have to include me in anything um, mm-hmm. but they are and um, I just said you know as long as you just keep Alex and Rishi together are mm-hmm. fine mm-hmm. with any other changes that might have to be made. Um, and they were like, Oh no, like they were, they're already on board from day one, you know, um, in mm-hmm. that sense. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so it's, it's kind of, it's kind of crazy, but um, we'll see. We'll see. That was so exciting. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad they've included you and act generally place you in the room and ask you questions and take into consideration your feelings because it's a baby a book is a baby it is a baby and I think it's in great hands Mm. I think everybody involved cares about it um you know my Labyrinth Loss is not like a massive Mm best-selling book so uh but it I do think it's a book that has a universal story Mm. and uh a book that you know sisters fighting for Mm. each other and the self the search for self um and you know chaotic families and magic right it's just like star wars i don't know (laughs) yeah which is actually i remember how my friends were pitching to me incendiary they were like think star wars i'm like i'm in i'm in (laughs) it is it is it's like it's star wars but set in a fake there we go (laughs) (laughs) with like uh, a hopefully a little bit more rounded Kylo Ren. <laughs> yes. What would you consider your favorite movie adaptation? Mm-hmm. From book to film. I had a lot of time to think about this. And uh, this is really hard mm-hmm. for me because I don't think I, I would have said I don't mm-hmm. have one. Um because a lot of the things that have been translated have been these like epic, like old mm-hmm. movies. Um, I do love, I do love me a Gatsby, like the new Gatsby. I think that's a beautiful yeah. movie. Um, but I'm going to go with a book that I love and a movie that I loved. So, uh, which is like water. For yes. Chocolate. Yes. Because sometimes I'm like, I like the movie, but not the book. I like the book, but not the movie. But this one, I okay. like the film. Yeah, that one translates well. And it's the only time you see magical realism. Yeah. In, I think, I mean, other than the Love in the Time of Color, but I think that they, they washed it out from, from Love in the it Time of Color It was very washed bit. out. Yeah, and it's, aren't they yeah. doing a Netflix series about Gaudio Garcia Marcus? Yeah, I know. they're doing Cien Años de Soledad. Okay. Ooh. Ooh. Yeah. That's a hard yeah. one. Yeah, I just re-listened to it. I listened to mm-hmm. it in Spanish, and um, it's a, that would that's a hard one to translate. Yeah, I feel like that one he, and Crónica de una Muerte Anunciada. <laughs> those are the hardest ones to translate with because I had too many options. Because on the one hand, I love the concept that Zoraida brought of I love the book and the movie equally. So I'm here going, 
at first like Vampire Academy, even though they're completely different. <laughs> and I really wanted that sequel, and that's where I fell in love with Zoe Doach as an actress. But ultimately, I ended up picking Perks of Being a Wallflower for the nostalgia factor, and it actually was the book that in high school I was like, yes, this is this is me. I finally feel identified. And then, of course, that also started my Tumblr days, so I have to give it credit for that, too. <laughs> oh, <boy. laughs> the, the old Tumblr days. <laughs> but yeah, I love it. I rewatched it recently. It still holds up for me. And I think that's a pretty great adaptation. Um, so I went old school. I decided to choose what made me into the person that I am today. And that is The Lord of the Rings. Nice. I yeah, that's a good one. grew up with Lord of the Rings because my dad is a huge fan of Lord of the Rings. So I would watch them with him when I was like six, which is a little too young to be watching them. And my mom was so worried because I would just sit there and watch them with all of these monsters. And my mom was so concerned that I would be scared and I wouldn't sleep at night. But no. And I just remember being so fascinated because I, I, I read a lot since I was a child. So I was just so fascinated to see all of these worlds that I would read about and just imagine seeing them translated into the screen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I just, I wouldn't be... You know, the reader that I am today, the film lover that I am today, if it weren't for those movies. So they always hold a special place in my heart because I do feel that the books are notoriously known for being hard to read. And they are, mm-hmm. I'm not going to lie. And I just feel like the movies did so well. They translated it in a way that everyone can love them and, any- and everyone can understand the lore, even if you have not read the books. And I just feel like that's something that not many movies, not many fantasy movies can achieve. I agree with you 100% about that. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when you have a crew that genuinely cares about it. It helps a lot. Yeah. Because even the movie. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Because Jackson was a Mm -hmm. fanboy right before. Yeah. And it's also how those movies also changed the industry because those were, they filmed all three movies back to back Mm -hmm. that had never been done before. So that was a huge risk that they took. And I remember watching something on YouTube. I feel bad for blanking, but they had, it was the first time they used a certain type of camera. Yeah. Yeah. So those movies, yeah. They didn't, they develop a lot of like the, the new, like magic tech. They did. (laughs) They did. Like, Obviously, if you watch the movies today, obviously the the effects you're going to be like seriously like this was innovative. It was back then. Mm-hmm. They won yep. you know, a lot of Oscars for you know the te- the technical aspects of it because it was revolutionary when it came out. So yeah, it it changed the industry as a whole, and I just I they always hold a special place in my heart, <laughs> and of course. That's how I met Orlando Bloom. Like, come on. <laughs> oh, my God. You will love this. <laughs> Hold on. Keep talking. It's so, fine. Yeah, Orlando just... Bloom. Like, I'm still Legolas number one fan. <laughs> Team Absolutely. Legolas. Forever. Let's go. When he appeared on The Hobbit. When he states the obvious, it's my favorite thing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yes. But I also oh like... Oh, my I- God. Oh. 
This is I love it so much. <laughs> so my best friend, I'm holding up a pillow. It's a pink velvet pillow. Um, and it has Orlando Bloom's face on it. It's from the Pirates of the Caribbean. My one of my best friends gave it to me for my birthday when I was eighteen, and I've had this pillow for a hundred years. I love it. I love it. I, I I I would actually love that, but with Oscar Isaac. Yes. Mm-hmm. We love o- Oscar so, Isaac yeah. in this house. We love Oscar Isaac. I made a dream cast for Labyrinth Lost, and I was like, "Can he be the Please. dad?" Yes. Please. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, he can play anything. I, I actually. Oh um, yeah, he can just be Alex. <laughs> Not even joking. One man show. One yes, man show. he should be in everything. <laughs> yes. Yeah. We'll find something. Oscar, if you're listening to this, please be in Labyrinth Lost. Thank you. And <laughs> Pedro Pascal is just in the background, like. <laughs> What about me? Oh, Pedro. He lives, ac- he lives across the street from, like, on the other side. I was on the east side of Central Park, and he's on the west side of Central Park. And every time I walk that way, I'm just like, what if I just see him on the street one day? I'm going to die. What if today is the day that I become a sort of Nora uh, Ephron? <laughs> <laughs> one day. Be... <laughs> Manifest it. <laughs> Anna, what is your book-to-movie adaptation pick? So, my first pick was Catching Fire. Because mm. <laughs> I feel that, in, like, in, with the movie and with the book, we get, like, a really deep and better look of what the capital is. Mm-hmm. And they yeah. also introduce us our favorite characters. <laughs> Finnick. <laughs> Finnick O'Dare with the great hair. Oh I'm just, uh, I'm glad we all love the same people. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he deserved like- better. Oh, uh, I can't think about book three. I can't. No. <laughs> what book three? It's too- <laughs> <laughs> But I feel that it's just a film that goes more in depth on the situation and makes like the audience more invested in the story. Mm-hmm. And other than that, the technical like, aspect of the whole film is just great. I love it. I love the cinematography. I love the lighting. My favorite... Um, part is when Katniss just goes to like the the dome mm-hmm. yeah. yeah and like the aspect mm-hmm. ratio changes I oh, like, oh my is... god I love it <laughs> trilogy is well adapted to Definitely. me I think I love it like the way that they did even the weird capital stuff in book three with like the mutts the people mm-hmm. who yeah yeah, yeah. Um, I haven't rewatched the last one because I honestly I just remember a dark tunnel and hearing Phoenix scream and I'm like I'm out Kelly did. We, <laughs> we pretend we do not see. <laughs> <laughs> so yes. actually, for my adaptation, which it's a very weird one, I'm gonna have to say Treasure Planet because <laughs> I really like how it was a passion project to start with. I've mentioned to the posters before that, like the conspiracy behind Treasure Planet, because. Originally, the two people wanted to make this movie, but then they had made The Little Mermaid, if I'm not mistaken. And they were like, oh, we want more of this because this was so great. So then they made um, Aladdin and Hercules. And by the third time, they were like, okay, you like if this one works, you can do it. So the third movie they made worked. So they finally got the chance to do Treasure Planet. But by that time, 
3D animation was coming in and CGI animation. So they purposefully let it flop. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I was like, I couldn't envision the vision. And I was like, I've seen this before. That movie is yes. really great. So under, yeah, underrated. Yeah. yeah. And I just love how it's one of those things where they're adapting from an old text and they turn it into something so new that still carries the heart of the story. Like, it's not as if they erased what the author had written. Instead, they just turn it into something new that could relate to the times. So, generally love that movie. And it makes me sad that they <laughs> let it flop. I hate when mm-hmm. studios do that. They're like, let's just let which it is, happen. Tax yeah, which is so crazy <laughs> because you're still putting time and effort into something. Right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So now we're getting into the final part of our adaptations, which would be what would we like to see from now on? What kind of stories would we like to see? Most importantly, which books would we like to see adapted? So to start us off, what would you like to see, Zoraida? Um, So many of the things that I want to see adapted are being Mm. adapted. Um, You know, uh, A Darker Shade of Magic, uh, Daniel Clayton's Tiny Pretty Things. I can't choose those. Uh, I had a list and okay. I want to see. I, how many can yeah. I pick? Three? Okay. Mm. Song of Achilles. Yes. Uh, don't date Rosa yes. Santos. <laughs> and I'm just like, I, I couldn't think of a. Oh, the Cruel Prince. Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I would want to see those adapted. When I read that book, I just kept thinking of Peter Jackson. Peter Jackson would love this. Like it just reminded me so much of Lord of the Rings. So oh, definitely, yes. And I can definitely see Song of Achilles working. That would be beautiful. And it has to be like the right actors, the right mm-hmm. director. It, like it, it is. It's like a. It, it's a perfect storm of a book, and if one thing doesn't work, none mm-hmm. of it will work, right? And I think because it's such a beautiful book that, oh, it's perfect. I, that is a book. The last book that made me openly weep on the subway was that book. I listened to the audiobook of the last, the mm-hmm. final third, and I was like, I'm not okay. <laughs> Juan, what are your picks? Um, I'm going to start with a film. I know it's in production, but I just want them to like get through what they need to get through. China Rich Girlfriend. Mm. The sequel to Crazy mm. Rich Asians. Mm. Oh my god, I yes. Harry Shum Jr. is perfect. Yes. 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 It is so good. I read the second one. I need to read the third one, but I'm kind of waiting for them to be like, the second one's happening, so I can be like, great. More motivation. Um, anything Zoraida publishes, Hollywood, just keep an eye out for it and you should publish it. This is a Stan account here. <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. Um, I would love to see They Both Die at the End by Adam Silvera. Mm-hmm. Which is under Which option. Is perfect. Yeah. I didn't know this, but even better. I feel like it has that potential. I think it would be so great to see. And another one is a book I read a while back, but I love it. It's called Sandman Slim by Richard Cadry. 
Um, the way it was pitched to me was, oh, it's Supernatural meets Die Hard. And I'm like, perfect. I'm in. What? Yeah. It's amazing. It doesn't have any chapters in it, which I was like, this is both great and terrible for me. Because Stressful. then I won't know where to stop. <laughs> no, I won't know yeah. where to stop. And I had to find somebody to stop. So I'd be like, where can I leave my bookmark? Mm-hmm. I can't. Okay. <laughs> but it ha- but it's so much fun. It's has It's very much uh, an adrenaline filled ride lots of action it's a great story and it's like going to be like 11th book coming out so i'm here like tv show movie i'll take it so i just finished reading this book and the whole time that i was reading it i just kept thinking of how beautifully directed this book could be and that is clap when you land by elizabeth acevedo Like I, I just because I love when movies have different timelines and books as well. I love when stories have different like points of views and they all converge at the end. I love that. And this book is just—it felt like it was written for me. Mm-hmm. So, and I just kept thinking of the movie *The Farewell*. If you've seen it, yeah. So, oh, oh um, that's where the the girl goes to China yeah, with- to. My brother made me watch that. Yes, it was great. Yeah. So the director of that movie, Lulu Wong, I feel like she could handle the type of mood of this book so perfectly. And that's all I could think about. Mm-hmm. And that's all I'm thinking about. So that is Ooh. one of my top choices. Lulu Wong and Elizabeth Acevedo just, working together would be. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. That is just like, it's perfect. With that right, one, so. I would hope they keep a bit of the down-to-earth, slow-burn kind of feel because yeah. it's not very mm-hmm. action-driven and it doesn't have as much drama as you would think it would have. But that's mm-hmm. what I love about it. Yeah. When You Land, also Vicious by V.E. Schwab. I just picked that book. <laughs> it's meant to be a movie or a miniseries. Like, I just don't understand. If Has it been ever been optioned? Mm. come on studios come on (laughs) i just i love the that book and i love vengeful i oh like come on Uh, a darker shade of magic is our option and it has the 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 writer of uh john okay i I remember (laughs) when she posted it i was just (laughs) oh my god that's perfect so yeah also juan the um they both die at the end. Is at HBO. Perfect. I'll get a subscription. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it's JJ's. Matt uh, Robot. Oh my god. Okay. Pretty sure. Okay. Because yeah, yeah. I remember it got option, but I hadn't heard anything other than that. Yeah. So that gives me hope. Because I also remember. <laughs> yeah. Also, more happy than not. I think it was options as well. Or was it? I'm unaware. I know what if it's us was options. Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember. I think I think all of Adam's just like doing the thing. <laughs> <laughs> He's if, hustling. <laughs> when yes, they get all the they both die at the end at HBO, I will be getting my subscription. HBO, if you want to make this faster, I will get my subscription. That would actually go. <laughs> I will pay for my yes, own HBO exactly. if they do Adam shows. Yes. That would go really well with HBO Max. It would. Because actually, the episode right before this one, we talked about like streaming services and everything, and. Honestly, HBO Max, if it keeps going the way it is, it's getting good content. It could start putting up a fight with Netflix. Yeah. But it'll be a while before we see that. But 
Mm-hmm. HBO Max is worth it. So, oh, and my final pick is this book. Not a lot of people know about it, <laughs> but I love it. It's called Poison Study by Maria V. Schneider. Oh, Maria Schneider, yeah. That book is great. I love that book. That book got me through the hurricane. Yeah. So I had, I had it, and I hadn't read it. So when and I was without power for months, and I read my entire TBR... <laughs> So and that book was there, and I just I think it would be so perfect for HBO. So I love my murder mysteries. <laughs> <laughs> and the first one is um, Dangerous Girls by Abigail Hass, mm. and it's about um, Anna that she goes to spring break to Aruba with her friends, and like in the middle of her vacation, her best friend Eloise is murdered and she gets blamed by it so she's in a court in aruba and it's like a story that goes like in the present in the past and i i just feel I just, it was really interesting and i read it through hurricane maria too so it also kind of saved me in that moment at the book it's called the female of the species yes oh yeah i've heard great things mm-hmm. about that book it's how should I say? It's a book that I feel that it presents very theme, like themes that are very important that we have to like talk about. It's about Alex Crafts has a sister, and she was a little bit of trigger warning. She was raped and murdered. Um, no, so her sister was raped and murdered, and when they caught the guy that did it, the court didn't have enough evidence to justify that he did it. So the next thing you know, like she kills him. Mm-hmm. That's basically like how the book starts. And you see like her point of view and you see two other ones like uh, PK that she's the preacher's daughter and Jack. PK is like symbolism of how girls can also play into the sexism role in society. And Jack, we see him more for like the male gaze point of view. So it's how these three point of views can like see the case of what happened. And mostly, like, it's very, again, it's a very important book that talks about rape culture and how society, like, blames these girls and such like that. And I feel that it could be a very important conversation to talk about in a film. Mindy McGinnis is a really underrated mm-hmm. author because she, she has great stories, um, but I just don't see enough, I, like, I don't see enough people reading, mm-hmm. reading them. Yeah. I read Heroin by her, and I was really impacted by it. That was the last thing I read by her, actually, yeah. Yeah. It was so good. The way she handled that topic, I was just like, that's like such a fine line. And then she walked it like so effortlessly. effortlessly, I was like, dang, that is talent. (laughs) (laughs) So my last book is Akira by Katsuhiro Otomo. Akira it's a manga but it also has this anime adaptation that is like praised upon in the anime community but the reason why I put this as my pick is because last year there was a debate with Warner Brothers that they had the the rights for it (laughs) but it was like okay are we gonna like develop it or not and it was then put in the shelf indefinitely so the thing is the director it was gonna be Taika Yes. <laughs> oh. 
so I was like, oh my god, this could be amazing because it's about this post-apocalyptic um, Neo Tokyo, and the thing is that this teenager finds this source of energy, and he gets this source of energy, and he gets um, telekinesis powers. But the thing is, those powers, um, he just like he takes it in a bad way. So now his best friend Canada, he has to stop him before he destroys like whole Tokyo and whole like the whole world. But I really wanted to see Taika like get this project and he talked about it. He seemed very passionate about this film and I just hope Warner Brothers gets him to pass <laughs> to make this movie. Hopefully. Hopefully. Which again, <laughs> passion makes a good adaptation. If the people working yeah. on it yeah. like it. Yeah, absolutely. They have to like the people on the team have to be in love with the project. And because like people in studios are just going to be, you know, oh, great. We love this book. We want it. But if nobody's making the moves, like your producers are Mm -hmm. vital. Mm -hmm. And especially you have to. The reason why that's important, too, is because you can't go into it wanting to change it or make it better because it's not your job to make it better. It's your job to get it to the screen and give it a platform like give it a visual voice that because you liked it for a reason you want to put that out there instead of trying to change it because there are so many people that have been like i like this but i didn't like this part of it so i'll just change it or make it better or get rid of it and it's like then why are you doing it yeah you need to love it because why would you be involved in adapting a fantasy book if you don't like fantasy it's not yeah i mean like look like lynn lynn manuel is involved in uh pat ruffis is right the name of the win uh okay i don't know that yeah yeah, the name in the win by pat ruffis like i think he's he's on board for the 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 option for that and i'm like that's such a massive Mm -hmm. fantasy novel like you Mm -hmm. have to be in it to really want to translate something like that so I also had Don't Dave Rosa Santos because I definitely, when I was reading it, I saw it. I actually, most, most people want it to be a movie. I guess I want more time with it. <laughs> I wanted like a mini series. And I think that it could definitely, maybe with the second book, go into it a little bit. Because mm-hmm. there's so much you can do at Port Corral the same way that it was done with Love, Simon, even though there's not a direct sequel yet. Yes, it should be Don't Dave Rosa Santos, the movie. And then the TV show, our, our way back to uh, always, the rest of the yeah. of poor Carl. Yeah. Yes, I, that would be so much fun to write. Yeah, because there are definitely so many characters that we met or we didn't meet. Like the, it, it, it's definitely its own character. The setting is its own character, mm-hmm. and you could do so much and get so much out of it. Because even mm-hmm. if she didn't expand on certain things, they're there. You could immediately mm-hmm. add stuff to it while you were reading in your own head, and it just works. Uh, Dina is actually in my Latinx sci-fi anthology, Ooh. and she's writing a a sexy ent, sexy tree like monster boyfriend uh, short story. Oh my God. Okay, <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, I because I I like I you know it's a sci-fi anthology, and I was like, I I blessed that you know we have I, I had so many. Latinos to choose from um but Nina was like well she you know her book is like magical realism-ish but not 
Um, but I, I, I messaged her and I was like, hey, would you be down to write fantasy? And she was like, well, actually, <laughs> I have this idea and this is like the place mm-hmm. for it. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I would want to see that as a movie too. Yes. <laughs> the other two options actually are, I was thinking while we were talking earlier, because of the whole Latinos writing about stories from their area of expertise. White Sargasso Sea by John Reese, which is like an, oh, an yeah. unauthorized Jane Eyre prequel. And then my third one, which is a book that I'm almost done with, The Invisible Life of Patty LaRue by V.E. Schwab, which I'm still processing. <laughs> it's a lot. I would actually like to see it not as a film, but as a mini series or as a limited series, especially because she explores different aspects of time since Addie is, so to speak, immortal. She traded her soul to the darkness. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out more in like an episodic terms instead of just a whole run through through a movie. Like I want to spend more time with these characters. So, before we go, we'd like to give a shout-out to Deadline City, a podcast co-run by Zoraida Cordova and Daniel Clayton, where they take you on a scenic route through Deadline City and everything it offers to writers in panic. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Uh, It's, you know, we're on our season two hiatus, and uh, we're coming back for season three in the fall. Uh, So that's going to be, we're we're just going to have more deadlines to talk about. So check them <laughs> out. Yes, writers in panic. I the- love that. Because literally, whenever I listen to Deadline City, is when I'm in panic. So I'm like, writers in panic. <laughs> I feel like writing in general is just a constant state of panic. Yes. So oh yeah, for sure. Right. That's perfect. Well, thank you so much for being on this episode of Film Poser Soraida. We appreciate you so much, and as you can see, we love your work, and we are so excited to see what comes from here on thank you i really appreciate it this is great so thank you guys for listening to film posers we appreciate the love you've been giving our way on social media and we hope to give you more of the content that you love and deserve so without further ado bye bye bye